Hello, church. Can you hear me well? That's great. Thank you. Um, well, my name is Negusi. I'm one of the elders here. It's my privilege to bring the word of God to you today. The message will come from uh, the same letter that uh, Brother Sham shared last week, the second letter of John. If you can uh, take out your Bible or devices, if you don't have, you can just follow from the screen. Let's take out Second uh, John verses 7 to 13. I'll read, you follow me. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that jo our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Brother Sham shared with us from verses uh, 1 to 6 last week. And the focus was on John the Elder, the writer of this letter, uh, expressing his joy that the members of this fellowship, this local church, were abiding in the truth, were remaining in the truth. In today's verse, verses 7 to 13, this short letter, uh, we are looking at the elder's warning, Apostle John's warning to this particular local church, most likely a home church, uh, that this warning is about false teachers that are targeting the fellowship. I want to start by asking a question or two. Do you have a favorite food that you enjoy? If I uh, poison that food and I tell you I've done that, and I warn you about it, will you go ahead and eat it? Maybe yes, maybe no. You may eat it if you are a kind of person who says, I believe only what my eyes see. You may eat it if you are overcome with hunger. But if you are a person who values life more than food, you will think twice before you down the food. But remember, if you eat it, there will be a consequence. Deception, which is the topic of these uh, verses we, we, uh, we read earlier, that's the, the, the central uh, issue in, in those verses. The deception is like that, brothers and sisters. It poisons, it corrupts the truth. So now, here is how I would like us to examine the message of the verses today. I want to raise four questions to help us think through. First question, what is deception? 
Second question, what is the deception that Apostle John warns against in these verses? Third question, what are historical roots to deception? And the fourth question, the last one, how do we deal with false teachers? How do we deal with deceivers? So question number one, what does deception mean? I want us to establish the basic meaning of it before we explore how it's applied in the text. I looked at Cambridge Dictionary, and this is how it defines it. Deception is a statement or an action that hides the truth, or it's the act of hiding the truth. Another way of defining it could be it's to make people believe that something is true when it's not. Those words are not from the Bible. I, I just used the dictionary definition for us to understand the concept. So whether it's a matter of faith or aspect of life, dece deception is presenting a lie as if it's true. Let's look at verses 7 and 9, where specific reference is made about deception. Verse 7 in this letter, in, in, in the verses we read earlier, these deceivers denied the truth. In verse 9, it tells us they did not abide in the teaching. So in other words, the mark of deception is denial of true doctrine. The false teachers were propagating false doctrines or lies. Now, we have defined what deception means. Now I want us to look at the second question. What is the apostle warning about concerning deception? The apostle shows two characteristics of false teachers. The first characteristic is that the false teachers are deceptive. What does that mean? What's wrong with them, with these teachers? Apparently these are teachers who go around, they are itinerants. They travel from one place to another preaching, but they don't preach the truth. So what is wrong with them? They deny the humanity of Jesus. They deny Jesus' incarnation. The apostle has already uh, dealt with this issue in his first letter. 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, if we can look at that text. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So the false teachers did not deny Jesus' existence openly. They did not say Jesus did not exist. They did not say Jesus did not come. What they did was they distorted Jesus' identity and nature. They did not affirm that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. As one writer puts it, they were subtle enough to counterfeit rather than contradict it. But still, you know, since it's poisoned, their teaching was contradictory to the scripture truth concerning Jesus Christ. John in his gospel and letters affirms 
that Jesus came in the flesh. For example, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, verses 1 to 3 and verse 14, we learn that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, who was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word, that was God, who was with God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is eternally God, God the Son, the second person of Trinity. But he took on a human nature to save us. Thus he is fully God and fully man. He was fully and truly human. Jesus ate food even after his resurrection. Jesus had a physical body. He felt tired. He needed to sleep. He was born like any, any baby. Yes, of course, Jesus' conception was unique. It's supernatural. It's virgin conception. However, he was born like any baby. Jesus depended on his mother. He learned and grew up like any child. Jesus was fully human. This is very crucial biblical truth that a, a confessing Christian should affirm. Anything less than that, anything outside that, is heresy. Not only is Jesus fully God, but he became fully and truly human. Now, why is it necessary for Jesus to become human? If Jesus was not fully human, then we have no chance of salvation. He would not be able to save us. You see, we are all sinners. We have sinned against God. We have disobeyed. We deserve God's judgment and condemnation. We inherited our sinful nature from Adam and Eve. The first man, Adam, was appointed to be our representative. The representative of the whole human race. But Adam sinned. He disobeyed. He rebelled against God and he fell from the grace. All of us share in his guilt, in Adam's guilt. And all of us have a sinful nature that constantly inclines us to sin. The Bible shows us that we need a substitute. We need a representative, a human being who would be perfect in every way, who would obey God perfectly, and who would take the penalty of our sin as our substitute. Jesus is the substitute and representative. If Jesus was not fully human, just like us, he could not be a substitute for us. He could not represent us before God. Without the doctrine of humanity, therefore, of Jesus Christ, without the doctrine of humanity of Jesus Christ, we would have no savior. Jesus' humanity is absolutely necessary for our salvation. There is just no other way. A scholar by the name Brooke writes, I quote, the incarnation is not only an event in history, it's an abiding truth. Jesus did not become Christ or the Son of God at his baptism. 
Jesus did not cease to be, to, cease to be Christ or the Son of God before his death. Jesus was the Christ came who come in the flesh. Now the deception that John is exposing in his letters is the denial of the scripture through that Jesus was fully human. That Jesus was incarnate. Let's look at the second characteristic that the apostle exposes about the false teachers. The second characteristic is that they are antichrists. This means they oppose the truth about Jesus. During his earthly ministry, Jesus himself had warned that the rising of the, the false Christ. Matthew 24 verse 5 says, Many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ and deceive many. That's the truth. They will deceive many. This prophecy was fulfilled during the time the apostle John was ministering. It didn't stop there. John referred to them in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, as false prophets. Here in uh, the second letter, he, give, he mentions them twice. He calls them many deceivers. He calls them antichrist. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Jesus defeated Satan by his death and resurrection, the enemy continues to attract people away from the truth. It looks like Satan is imitating Jesus himself in sending out his apostles. The devil copies the true mission and sends out his own messengers, counterfeits, deceivers, prophets, okay, to enslave, to trap people, and to lure them away from the truth. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we have defined what deception is. We have looked at how John uh, warns against these uh, deceptions or false teachers. I want us to look at the third question. What were the historical roots of deception? It just didn't happen during John's time. This has been going on from the very beginning. Deception, my friends, is as old as our history. I mean human history. It goes back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan connived, cunningly deceived Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. Through her, through her, he also deceived Adam. That led to the fall and suppression of God from human race. When you read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, you see God has not abandoned human. God mercifully works back to bring humans to his presence. However, humans fail and Satan, Satan continues to fight to frustrate God's plan. God ultimately brings about the fulfillment of his plan through his son, Jesus Christ. Deception continues, though. Deception continues during Jesus' time on earth. In the Gospels, you see that. When the devil attempts to thwart Jesus' plan, this Jesus' mission, he throws at him various obstacles to make him disobey God and to abandon the mission he came for. Jesus, however, 
defeated Satan. He went to the cross. On the cross, he defeated Satan absolutely. However, the war is not over. Satan still tempts believers. Satan always wants to attack the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. So we need to stop and think. We need to ask ourselves, is this problem just a problem that the early church, the first century church, encountered? The answer is no. Christ's identity and nature has been attacked, denigrated throughout church history. I have no time to go into too many details, but I can give you a, a couple of examples. Okay? One that comes to, quickly to my mind is Arianism. This is a teaching that was started by a man named Ari Arius. Arius. Sorry about my pronunciation. Arius was a bishop from Alexandria in Egypt in the 4th century. Arius claimed Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he denied that Jesus existed always. Arius said God created Jesus before everything else. We don't believe that. We don't believe Jesus was created. What this means then is what Arius' teaching means is that then Jesus was not co-eternal with the Father. His teaching meant that Jesus, the Son of God, is not co-equal with the Father. This is absolutely against Trinity, the doctrine of Trinity. We can find this teaching even today among the Jehovah's Witnesses. In our time, there are many other ways in which heresies have targeted, attacked the identity and nature of Christ. There are plenty of deceptions. There are many ways of cunning, twisting of teaching on Christ that can trap unsuspecting souls. The prosperity gospel is that one that comes to my mind. It has twisted Jesus Christ's suffering and resurrection for earthly health and wealth. This is the most deceptive one that maybe many of us have been victims of in one way or another. You can think of people who call themselves man of God or woman of God. We can mention names. You can mention names yourselves. People like Benny Hinn, Chris Oyakilomi, I've heard of a man called Bushri, Shepherd Bushri or something like that. These people actually call the name of Jesus when they preach. But the question is, what do they do, they do with the name of Jesus? What is their aim? What do they want to achieve with it? They use it for making money. They use it to attract many followers. They flaunt their wealth to show that believing in Jesus takes one out of poverty and into riches. Where in the Bible will you find a teaching like that? If you are critical, if you are discerning enough, there is no foundation for saying you believe in Jesus and then you become rich. I've heard of people buying oil from the shop, normal oil, and repackage that and sell a bottle of oil for $500. Not only ordinary people, even 
ministers line up on their knees to get this anointing. It has happened. I saw it. It's amazing how it spreads as well. It's everywhere. There's no place immune to it. Churches have been really, really messed up with this teaching. Some of them send out their photographs for healing. Where in the Bible will you find that? These people mention the name of Jesus, but they fool people by doing that. They want to deceive people they are true followers of Christ. Jesus is our prophet. You heard our sister reading Deuteronomy chapter 18 earlier. Moses was prophesying the coming of the greater prophet. Jesus is the greater prophet who Moses was talking about. Remember, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not die to bring us physical health and wealth. He died to save us from eternal death because of sin. I repeat, Jesus did not die to bring us physical health and wealth. He died to save us from eternal death because of sin. What brought Jesus to earth is not health and wealth. What brought Jesus to earth is our sin and our suppression and condemnation. We looked at the definition of deception. The warnings, the warnings given by John against deception. We have also con considered the historical roots of this false teaching. I want us to look at the fourth question. How should false teachers be dealt with? How do we deal with deception? What can we learn from these verses in uh, John's message letter? Having exposed how dangerous these traveling false teachers are, he gives three commands. Three commands. The first command comes in verse 8. John tells his audience, watch out. When you hear the word, the phrase watch out, it's a command. You don't, you don't just pass it by. You have to be alert. Why does the writer use watch out? There is danger. If you are not alert enough, you cannot catch it. So he says, watch out. This is an imperative. It does not give you a choice. It's about eternal life. This is not a joke. That solution has to match the problem. Since the error is deception, you can escape being trapped in this deception if you are spiritually alert enough. If you are watching out carefully, where do you get that spiritual alertness is if you stay with the word of God, if you stay in a healthy fellowship. You can read the Bible, but the question is, in what spirit are you reading the Bible? So, watch out. Watch out so that you don't lose what you have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. That's the first command. The second command, sorry, I, I wanna retract a little bit. 
We should be careful here that we don't misinterpret concerning the first command. We should not, we should not misinterpret these words. These words do not mean a believer wins or loses salvation on his own ability. Being told to watch out does not mean everything depends on you. Your salvation does not depend on you. Our salvation depends on God. God's grace. It's a gift from God. It's a free gift in Christ. We don't earn salvation. However, we do see repeatedly in the New Testament strong warnings against apostasy, falling away from the truth and eternal life. God uses such warnings to keep us on the right path, to keep us from straying, to alert us to the eternal danger and consequences of turning away from the truth. Just think, think of it like a poison, okay? A bottle with a, with a poison in it. The warning on the label with a skull and crossbones should tell you, do not drink. This is lethal. Or think of it like a, a rail, railway crossing where you have a warning sign. It says, danger, do not cross. That's how the warning works in the New Testament. They point us away from those things that lead into eternal destruction. Brothers and sisters, we must heed these warnings. We must listen to these warnings in order not to be destroyed. The second command comes in verse 9. John tells the church to remain in the truth. If you don't abide in Jesus' teaching, if you run ahead too far, you're going off track. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. He's outside God. Anyone who continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This reminds us of the, uh, what John said earlier in his first letter that we looked at. Chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. I don't want to repeat it here, but let's look at verse 9. Read with me these words, quietly if you want. Everyone who goes on ahead, does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You cannot claim that you worship the Father if you deny Jesus Christ and his teaching. If there is anyone here today, here in front of me, or online, following, if you're following uh, on Zoom or, or live session, whatever. I want you to consider this. You cannot say you are a follower of God. You cannot say you worship God if you do not truly, truly affirm Jesus' nature and identity and his teaching. You don't, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. So your salvation is in Christ. That's what God gave us. God gave us Christ. You come through Christ, then you have God. It's only by abiding the true teaching of Jesus that we sh show ourselves to be belonging to the Father and the Son, to have true salvation and eternal life. So if we go ahead and depart from the truth, 
We do not have salvation. So this morning, I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I want you to ask yourselves, are you straying from the truth about Jesus? Where are you? Where are you concerning Jesus' nature and identity? Where are you concerning Jesus' teaching? Where are you concerning the gospel truth? Are you going, ahead, going on ahead without abiding in the teaching of Jesus Christ? Are you into other teachings? Are you being attracted by false doctrines and false man-centered cults? Are you being deceived by the false teachers of our day, such as the prosperity preachers, who flaunt their prosperity so that people come to them? What do they present when you go there? Do you find Jesus or do you find the man of God? If that's you, my friend, I should say beware. Watch out. Listen to John's warning. Again in verse 9, I want to repeat. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Now the third command in verse 10, this is very important. It says, watch out who you fellowship with. So the first command and the second command, the third command. The third command said, watch out who you fellowship with. John, because of the danger these false teachers pose, warns believers not to take them into their houses or welcome them. Christians are required to show hospitality and be charitable. It's true. But the apostle categorically warns them not to do so with these ones, these false teachers that go around, that travel from place to place, disseminating, spreading their false teachings. You might be surprised to hear such words, such hard words from an apostle of love. Apostle John is known as an apostle of love. Why is he so harsh? Because the issue is not something to joke about. Because he does not want his fellow brothers and sisters to be fooled by, in the name of love. My friends, we are to draw lessons for ourselves from this warning. We should be careful how we extrapolate the meaning from the text. I want us to consider what it does not say. Maybe that helps us you know, to, be, to be careful. We are not told not to receive believers. We are not told not to associate with non-believers. It does not say that we should, be, we should not be associating with people who defer with us in matters of secondary issues. Instead, it tells us that we are not supposed to have any fellowship or welcome those who come as teachers of the faith, but deceive or spread false lies, false falsity. Verse 11 sums up the reason for John's serious warning about the deceivers or antichrists. False teachers are not people who make minor, correctable, innocent mistakes. That happens in a person's spiritual growth. Any falsity about Christ leads to not having the Father. 
There is no half truth. You either have it all or have nothing. You either have Christ or have no God. The apostle finishes the letter with a longing to to fellowship with them based on the truth that he shared with them. The truth that Jesus Christ is the God's son, fully man, fully God. A letter, though, he says, is not a perfect device because it does not provide the experience of being in each other's presence, enjoy the grace bestowed upon them, or the la- share the love that God has poured into them. It's a good reminder to us as well concerning the value of face-to-face fellowship, particularly in this COVID uh, time, in, under these subnormal times. We need to persist in fellowshipping face-to-face in spite of all the challenges. So my last word, if I may say so, my last word, I want to re- give us a question again. What are you and me to do with these verses that we read today? What do I go out with today? Okay? Here is the truth. We have to be fully aware that the deceivers, false teachers, false prophets, they are out there. They have gone out into the world. Deception, heresy is rampant. It's everywhere. You cannot say, no, it doesn't exist. That's a lie. It has been prophesied. It's happening. So what do I do? We have to be watchful that we don't fall for deceptive teachings. We have to be willing and ready to be corrected by the scripture truth. The the Bible is our mirror. The scripture is our mirror. We need to make the word of God the foundation of our worship, the foundation of our fellowship, the foundation of our ministry. Be wise in your fellowship. Don't be deceived in the name of love, tolerance, or peace. These are the vogue of the culture and political discourse of today. I'm not saying stand in opposition to peace, love. Of course, we are people of love. We are people of peace. But (laughs) do not involve with people who deliberately target you uh, with teachings, false teachings and deceptions. Do not involve with people who deny, who say they are Christians, but deny the identity and nature of Christ and his teaching. So finally, I want to say watch out. Watch out so that you don't get deceived and ingest false and deceptive doctrines that poison your faith. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we glorify your name, Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the truth and the light. Father, with your word, shine 
your light on our hearts, Lord. If there is anybody who, here who has been deceived, who is going astray, we ask for your mercy. Help us to turn away from false teachings, deceptive teachings, and heresies. If there is anyone here today who thinks that they follow God, they believe in God, but they deny Jesus Christ, we ask you to redeem them, to show them what Christ has done, who Christ is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.